The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. When I was 15 years old, I had an uncle that I was about to move in with him and my aunt. They really were very influential in raising me, but before then, I, I needed a job. And I didn't need a job because I wanted to work. I needed a job because I wanted money. My uncle gave me a job. He, was a, he taught building trades in high school, but every year he would build a couple of houses and he would start at spring break, work after school, work all through the summer, six days a week, 10 hour days. I get a job with my uncle first day. We are laying a foundation. And so what that means for me back then is I'm 100 pounds, I don't really like exercise, which means I haven't exercised. And I've got a 16 pound sledgehammer as my new best friend. We're laying a foundation and to lay that foundation, you put down form boards, two by 12s, that make the outer edge of what is going to be where the slab is poured. They've gotta be perfectly leveled and to keep them in, you drive stakes that are straight up and down and you nail those to the two by 12s. And so my job first day, is driving stakes. And it's going really, really bad. So by noon, I had driven lots of stakes, not straight, pulled them out, driven them again, not straight, just over and over and over. I didn't have a really nice sledgehammer. Uh, I had a, a really rough one. It's got a wooden handle. And by the end of the, of, of the morning, we'd replace two handles. I'm just doing an awful job. I'm frustrated. My uncle's frustrated. The stakes are like, please just stop, right? And my uncle looks at me and he says, son, what do you think we're doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm driving stakes poorly. And I thought that was hilarious, right? And he didn't, he didn't find it funny. He just kind of looked at me and he said, no, buddy, we're laying a foundation today. And if we don't get this right, it doesn't matter how the house looks. It doesn't matter how pretty it is. It doesn't matter what we do. If this isn't right, everything is going to be off. I didn't understand the significance of that until years later. I'll tell you about that in a little bit. But as I thought about this text that we're in in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, about the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Paul is teaching the church at Corinth that Jesus has to be the foundation. There is no other. And then he wants to talk to them about what they're building on that foundation. So today, what we're gonna do is talk about the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. We're gonna talk about building what lasts. And then we're gonna talk about repairing what is broken. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 23. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. That's the day of the Lord. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. 
though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Lord, we thank you, God, that you would call us your own, that we would be a people who belong to you. And Father, as we look in your word today, let us consider the strong and solid foundation of Jesus Christ compared with all the false foundations that we might cling to, that we might try to build our lives on. And Father, help us to build on the right foundation and help us to build something that will last. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter three, he's building on a metaphor he started in the first half of the chapter. He talked about watering and planting and, and he and Apollos planting and watering and God causing the growth. And now he talks about the, the metaphor of building, but what he's doing is he's adding to this one letter. Again, we're gonna do this for 30 weeks, right? But it's one letter with one theme and it starts with this theme and he's still talking about it in chapter three because it's such a big deal. He makes an appeal to the church. He says it in, in chapter one, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you brothers by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. And he's shocked Verse 11, for it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. You're saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. And he's saying this division is not good. You've got to stop. He's still talking about that division. And so he says, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid. And that's Jesus Christ. And he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. That someone else is Apollos. Did this work. God used me to start this work in you and now Apollos is building on it. It's the same work. And so Paul, he's just connecting the dots. He makes this appeal in chapter one because the crucified Jesus is wisdom and power of God for all who believe. They've been given, he tells them in chapter two, spiritual wisdom and the mind of Christ. And then in chapter three, seeds of the word have been planted in them. They're being watered, they're growing. And now Paul has laid this foundation and others are building on it. And it's all about Jesus and Jesus crucified. And so Paul's hope is that for the church in Corinth, and I believe God's hope for us is that our overflow of joy in God will be manifested in our daily dying to ourselves to love our brothers, neighbors, and enemies headed toward, like 1 Corinthians is, headed toward the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Jesus rose and because we are going to raise to be with him forever. 
that we would be building on the foundation of Jesus things that will last. According to the grace of God, I I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. See, the, the Corinthians, they're arguing, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Acts 18 says of Apollos, he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. It says he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit. He taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. He greatly helped those who through grace had believed. He powerfully refuted the Jews, publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So he's just building on this foundation that Paul has laid. And Paul says there is no other foundation which really, really mattered for the Corinthians, right? Because people were trying to build on different foundations and the cross was folly, it was foolishness. The Greeks were trying to build on the foundation of human wisdom. The Jews were trying to build on the foundation of morality or it said the Jews demanded a sign, they wanted to see power, not a crucified Messiah. But Jesus, the crucified and risen one, was wisdom from God and power from God, that's the foundation to build on. And again, if the foundation's not right, no matter how beautiful the buildings might look, nothing will be right. That was the case in lower Manhattan. You can see this little pond at the lower end of Manhattan. It's magnified here. This is called the Collect Pond. And when we think about New York City today, we think about this bustling place. There are skyscrapers, taxis, subways, the streets are filled. But back in the 16, 1700s, when it was first colonized, it really only the lower part of the island was populated with, with the people of the colonies. They even built a wall along a street to keep Native Americans, others out. It was called Wall Street. You might have heard of that one, right? And then there's this pond, and around this pond, there were businesses, and some of those businesses would be grocers, meat markets, tanneries, where they would take hides and tan them into different things, and here's what they would do. They would dump vegetation that was rotten into this pond. It was the collect pond. It would collect these things. They would dump the bodies of the animals that they couldn't use into this pond, and over and over and over, after decade, after decade, after decade, it just got filled with junk, and so they made a landfill out of the collect pond. After they made the landfill, they did that in about 1802, Things began to grow on top of it, and they thought, oh, this would make a great middle-class neighborhood. So in 1811, they built really, really nice houses, but they were built on top of rotting vegetation. It smelled like methane gas. There was no aqueduct, storm sewer, decomposing bodies of animals. The ground began to sink. It was mosquito-infested. People fled. It then became known as the Five Points neighborhood. A lot of people think that's where Calvinism started, but that's not correct. There were Irish immigrants that came in when the potato famine happened. And other than certain areas of East London, this neighborhood was the worst place in the Western world for population density, for disease, infant and child mortality, unemployment, prostitution, violent crime, other classic ills of the urban destitute. By the 1850s, it was the heart of Little Italy. It had one of the highest murder rates in the world. There was a jail called the Tombs built there in 1840. It began to sink. They put it on hemlock logs, rebuilt it in 1902. It sank again. They had driven down to bedrock, they, 140 feet. They thought that had a solid foundation, but it was rotten. 
So they turned it into a park. Nothing can be built on it that will last. See, that's what the worldly foundations that we build our lives on are like. Money, success, power, sex, independence, Enneagrams. I, I, did, I, I took the Enneagram test. I wanted to know what I was, and it turns out I'm a 10, which is the best qualities of all the other nine. Um, I actually, I took it because people said you need to know what your Enneagram is, and I took it three times to see is this, is this real, you know, and I got three different answers. My wife said that's one for each of my three personalities. I'm not sure. Those are all fine things. Money is great. Success is great. Sex is great. Enneagram can be a great tool to learn what kind of sinner we are and what our struggles are. But none of those make a great foundation. And here's what we kind of tend to do sometimes. We'll take Jesus and we make him part of our life. I wanna make Jesus part of my life. I've got good plans. I'm headed in a good direction. I'll just add Jesus onto it. And here's a really great clarification that we need to see and understand. Jesus being part of your life is not the same as Jesus' foundation of your life, right? Jesus being part of your life is not the same as Jesus being the foundation of your life. Mediocre exercise is part of my life, right? But it's not the foundation of my life. And see, what we can tend to do is take Jesus and make him part of what we're already doing, and it doesn't work that way because he's Lord. Jesus Christ is not an addendum to the American dream. Jesus Christ is not the means to your end or my end of prosperity. Jesus is not something to be added onto your financial plan or entrepreneurial mindset. Jesus is not a nice addition to your ideology. And we see this happening more and more and more. And I, I wanna tell you, it's really easy in an election year to get confused about what foundation is because we hear kind of arguments for this and arguments for that and arguments for what America ought to be like. I've heard in the last seven days, I've heard people say, well, you can't be a Christian and vote for this guy of one of the presidential candidates. And then of the other presidential candidate, I've heard people say, you can't be a Christian and vote for this guy. And here's what I want us to hear. Go vote. Please go vote. Great idea to go vote. Chase is not saying don't go vote. Go vote. But don't make politics the foundation of your life because here's the reality. You can't be a Christian and say that something other than confessing Jesus is Lord is what makes you a Christian, right? See, these are fine things, go vote, but the foundation of the life of the people of God is not a donkey or an elephant. Rather, it's a lion who rules and a lamb who was slain. These are our foundations. See, if your foundation's off, you might not initially realize it, but eventually you will. Well, what's a litmus test? Do you hate people that vote different than you? Is it a litmus test of friendship? If I disagree with you, you, we can't be friends with one another. If your foundation's off, everything's off. See, my uncle and I had that great life lesson conversation when I was 15. You fast forward 13 years and I was 28 and my wife and I moved to this beautiful little town called Temple, Texas. Anybody heard of it? 
We moved into Temple and we moved into the Western Hills neighborhood and we moved on this street called Antelope Trail. And if you've been in Temple very long, you know that on Antelope Trail, there are two kinds of houses. There are kinds of houses that have had foundation trouble and there are houses that will have foundation trouble. We bought this house on Antelope Trail and the person before us had put up some really nice wallpaper. We found six months in that that wallpaper was covering the cracks in the walls. Our foundation was broken. So there were cracks in the walls. There were cracks in the ceiling. There began to be cracks in the floor. It looked really, really pretty. But it was broken. It was like the collect pond at New York City. And when your foundation's broken, there are all kinds of things people will tell you to do. They'll say, oh, water your your yard and your, your slab will raise up. It'll solve the problem. And the cracks close back in and then it gets dry and the cracks open back up. And you can cut the sheetrock out and put it back up. But until the foundation's repaired, you just get cracks over and over and over. It's a Band-Aid fix. How's your foundation? Is Jesus part of your life, but really you're building on a base of wealth, a base of consumerism? Is it a political ideology? Is it your looks? People are like, gosh, I hope it's not for you, Chase. That would be really bad. Is it your status in this community? Is it your clicks and likes? Is it what you can get, what you can buy? Is it sex? Is it your sexuality? Right now, this year, we need to think, what is our foundation What is our foundation? Because Paul says there is no foundation except Jesus Christ. And then once we figure out what our foundation is, are we gonna build something that lasts? If anyone builds on the foundation, Paul says, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, he sets up kind of two categories, gold, silver, precious stones, things that will survive fire. Wood, hay, straw, things that will not survive fire. Perhaps the foundation is right. Perhaps you're building on a solid foundation, but what are you building? He said, let each person be careful how he builds. Each one's work, verse 13, will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Not the opinions of people, not the thoughts of others, but the day of the Lord, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Are you building something that will last on the broken body of Jesus Christ? How do you know? How do you know if what you're building on is going to last? What do you spend money and effort on? What do your kids think you value? What do your kids think you value? My daughter Maddie was four years old. She's 20 now. Was taking her to pre-K one day and she just out of the blue said, hey dad, Tiger Woods putts better on the East Coast than he does on the West Coast. And I said, well, how do you know that, honey? And she goes, because we watch golf. That's what our family does. And I just wanted to cringe. See, my daughter, who more than anything, I wanted to know and love and follow Jesus Christ and praise God by his grace, that's what she's doing. Thought that, that our family was all about golf and she just knew what coast Tiger Woods putted best on. And I thought, man, what in the world am I building? What do your kids think you value? Is that going to last? How would... 
people around you describe what you value? What do your neighbors think you value? Are you building something that right now might seem like it has a great return on investment, but eternally, it's just going to be burned up? See, Paul says if someone builds and his work last, he will receive a reward. And I think that's a really important word for us. There are kind of three categories when people think about rewards in Christianity. There are some that say, oh, you really shouldn't seek after rewards, right? There, there are some who would say, well, it might be okay to, but you really don't have to. And then there are some that would say, no, 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 you must seek after rewards, and I'm, I'm gonna fall into that third category because I think the scripture is just blatantly clear about it. And I just wanna give you just a, a few brief examples from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we must seek rewards. We have to. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean that without faith it's impossible to please God? The second half of the verse defines it. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. You have to believe that the God, the God of scripture exists. And second, that he rewards those who seek him. You have to believe that he rewards those who seek him. And you, you gotta run after that reward, right? That's what God told Abraham. When we did the Abraham series before this series, he said, I will be your shield and your exceedingly great reward. You must believe he's the rewarder of those who seek him. That's what Moses did. If you look a little bit further in Hebrews 11, about verse 24, Moses pulled a Prince Harry. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, right? Harry and Megan, they've left the royal family, right? They, they don't wanna be uh, holding their titles. The difference between him and Moses is Megan and Harry not holding their titles comes with an awful lot of money. And Moses saying, I don't wanna be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter came with an awful lot of reproach. So Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ, this Messiah God's people were waiting on, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. The, the finest chariots that Egypt has to offer, whatever harem he wanted, whatever food he wanted, whatever house he wanted, he considered the, the reproach of Christ as greater than that because he was looking to his reward. We're told in Hebrews 12 too, to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. There was this joy that he was looking ahead to. Paul, when he's writing to the church at Philippi, he says, I forget what lies behind and strain toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. See, Moses was looking to this reward. What's the reward? It's knowing and being known by God intimately. That's what Paul is aiming for. I'm gonna press on till I'm fully known, until I know him. Live and build in such a way as to get a reward because here's the reality. Not everybody in Christ is gonna stand before God and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
Some are gonna stand before him saved, but their works are going to be burned up. Their works are going to be burned up. So live in such a way as to seek reward. See, the early church, the way they wrote, the way they talked, the way they thought, they were building on something and they were building something that would last. Our, our executive pastor, Danny, and I were talking about this this week and he reminded me when Dan Wallace came. Dan Wallace, if you don't know him, he's a professor at DTS, really bright guy, one of the, one of the greatest textual critics of scripture in the world. He understands New Testament Greek and ancient text better than just about anybody in the world. And Dan Wallace, when he was talking about how we can trust the scripture, we can rely on it, we have great copies of it, it's reliable. He said, if we took the writings of the church fathers alone, just from the writings of the church fathers, late first century, second century, early third century, that we could comprise the entire New Testament just from their writings alone. So I want you to think about just the church in the West, church in America today, what we're writing, what we're building, what we're filling our minds with, specifically what we're writing online, social media, what you're recording, what you're putting down. If people were to look back at the things that we as God's people are saying right now, 2020, is what they would gather the New Testament, is what they would put together, the New Testament, the word of God. I'm not sure, that's something to think about, it's something to wonder. So I wanna tell you, as we think about what we're building, something I really think is just gonna be burnt up is, is how we interact with people on social media. I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said, you only live once, so make sure you spend 10 hours a day on the internet seeking validation from strangers, right? Three years ago, I thought the worst thing about social media is that we compared ourselves to others' best 15 minutes. I didn't think it could be any worse than that. And what I found out in 2020 is that the worst thing about it is that we're comparing ourselves pridefully to others' worst 15 minutes. So sometimes at TBC, we've done these things in the last year called Fast Mondays where we take a break for a Monday from something. Maybe it's a meal, maybe it's social media, whatever else. In July... I started to invite y'all to do this with me, but I didn't then. I'm gonna do that now. In early July, I was just really disturbed by things I was reading on social media. I was frustrated, I was bothered, a little bit angry, saddened, and I just thought, you know what, from July 5th to November 10th, I'm just gonna get off Facebook. I'll, I'll share something for Temple Bible Church if they need me to share it. But other than that, I'm not gonna get on there and scroll. It doesn't do me good. Maybe for you, it's 50 days from today till November 10th. Maybe that'd just be a great idea. Maybe for you, it's Twitter or Instagram that just really riles you up. Some of you, it'd be really good for you because you read it, you get frustrated, you get disturbed by what others are saying. Others of you, you really need to do it for the rest of us, honestly, right? See, there's lots of houses right now in California and Oregon. They were beautiful homes. They were built on great foundations. But tragically, tragically, the fire test has come and they're just being burned up. They're being destroyed. They're not going to last. You can have a great foundation, but if you build something that won't last, it's gonna be burned up. And I want you to hear me. Not everything about 2020 is wood, hay, and straw, right? 
And you could think that it is, but it's not. I was just thinking about that as I was thinking about all these things that we try to build on sex, power, greed, sexuality, money, consumerism, individualism. But then I started thinking, you know what, since this pandemic began, one of my friends called me about a week ago for the second time in six months to tell me one of his children had trusted Christ. Both of his kids in the last six months have confessed Jesus as Lord. That right there is gold, silver, and precious stones. One of our high schoolers just reaching out to a friend, ministering to a friend, encouraging a friend. She led her friend to Christ a couple weeks ago. This morning after service, young man, 21 years old, confessed Christ. TBC has approved two new missionary families to launch out whenever it is that we can get on an airplane and fly to faraway places again. We've got two more families preparing to go, as well as one of my good friends, Ashley Butte, preparing to go to Japan. Several college students right now, this afternoon, they were Brandon and Sarah Brewer preparing, thinking about missions, considering giving their lives for the sake TBC has seen God be incredibly generous in this pandemic through you so we can do what we need to do here in our city and in the world. It's been amazing to see. We've got a new local organization we're partnering with that gives medical care to vulnerable people. Some of you spent more time with your kids, engaged with them. Some of you spent more time with friends, engaged with them. Some of you have spent more time in the word and in prayer. I've got a friend I was talking to this week about social media the things that are discouraging me. And he said, yeah, man, I got rid of it. In the last 70 days, I've been through the book of Colossians 70 times and I'm still going and I'm still learning. Some of you have come to understand the pain of others, shown compassion in ways that you never previously have. It's gold, silver, and precious stones. And so Paul says, if anyone's work survives, he's gonna receive a reward. His works burnt up, his spirit will be saved, but through fire. It's not that you lose your salvation. It's just that your work doesn't last. So Paul, in this section where he's talking about building, he talks about two things. And one is building something that will last, and the other is not tearing down God's temple. Verse 16 Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? Now, in verse 16, something really important to see. When I I read that naturally, I think that's speaking to me. Chase, you are God's temple or some person at Corinth was God's temple. That's not what this is doing. In this section, verses 16 through 19, you is always plural, temple is always singular, right? You is plural, temple is singular. You, church at Corinth, you, Temple Bible Church, you collectively are God's temple. It's like we're living stones. Each of us is a block built on the foundation of Christ that are making up the temple. The Greek word he uses here for temple is naos. It's not herion. Herion would be the whole temple complex. Naos is an inner sanctuary, the place where God dwells. The spirit of God is in you, church. You are the temple of God. And then he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy. It's set apart by him for him. And you are that temple. So Paul's saying there's this foundation. It's Jesus. We've built on the foundation. And this foundation, this building that's growing, that's going to last is the church. And he says, don't destroy this temple. 
If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. I can think of no stronger words. See, God loves his church and divisiveness was tearing apart the church in Corinth like divisiveness could tear apart a church today. God loves the church and he says, don't tear apart the church. Don't try to destroy the church. Now here he's talking about divisiveness, but if you read on in the letter, there are other ways that sin is destroying the church with incestual relationships, fornication, idolatry, lack of order in worship, And then most of all, in chapter 13, lack of love. Is the church going to survive? See, they were asking that question in the first century. The Roman Empire was ruling with an iron hand, and we have a pandemic going on right now, but really easy, easily preventable diseases could just wipe out a village in the first century. Would the church survive? The answer then was yes, the now is yes. God is committed to his purposes. God is going to accomplish his purposes. He is going to keep his promises. So no matter what happens, yes, the church is going to survive. I hear people sometimes say, I I get that, you know, and I love Jesus, but not the church. Well, that is a biblically impossible idea, right? How can you love God whom you haven't seen if you do not love your brother whom you have seen? You can't actually love the biblical Jesus and not love the church. Does that mean the church is perfect? No, we are broken like they were in Corinth, right? But Paul says, don't try to divide this place. It's a really, really bad idea. It's the dwelling place of God Almighty, not the building where the church meets, the church. So Paul closes a section in a way that we would talk about just repairing what is broken. Repairing what is broken. See, if the foundation's broken, a Band-Aid won't fix it. Paul says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, and then he quotes Job chapter five, verse 13. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. They are futile. That's Psalm 94, 11, just direct quotes. See, we try to solve our sin problems with the same craftiness that got us in those sin problems in the first place. And God just says, that's not gonna work. That's not gonna work. And we try to follow people. So Paul says in verse 21, Let no one boast in men. For all things are yours. Let no one boast in men. Over the next one and a half months, a lot of people are going to boast in men. That's what the world does, but it's not what the church does. And then he says this strange thing, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. So when Paul says that, life, death, the present, or the future, that's just like Romans 8.38 when he's talking about these things that can't separate us from God's love. He says, these are yours. We all belong to one another. Paul belongs to you. Apollos belongs to you. Cephas belongs to you. We are one together in Christ. We're to be of the same mind. We're to be united. And he says, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Now, Paul's gonna build on this theme and 
In chapter 11, verse three, he'll say again, the head of Christ is God. In chapter 15, 28, he'll talk about how all things will be subjected to the resurrected Jesus. And then Jesus will himself submit to the Father one final time. We, see, we don't understand that our foundation's broken and we really need God. And he's reminding him, you belong to God. You belong to God. See, you gotta use a sledgehammer to lay a foundation and you've gotta use a sledgehammer to fix a foundation. So my house on Antelope Trail, the foundation was cracked. It was cracked on the corners and it was cracked on the inside. So we tried all these different little Band-Aid fixes, but they didn't work. And so what we ended up doing is we contacted a foundation repair company and they're literally in my bedroom, the carpet's pulled up and these two guys are just doing this awful work of busting a slab with a sledgehammer over and over and over, hammering away at the hardness. So they bust up the slab, they dig a hole, literally they're down inside the hole under the slab and they're driving concrete piers. In Texas, it's somewhere between 12 and 22 feet. They gotta get down to foundation that will last. See, Corinth, they needed the hardness of their hearts to be broken up. The hardness that would cause division, the hardness that would love sexuality more than Jesus, the hardness that would embrace idols instead of the living God. And they needed really repairs to be done beneath the slab so that restoration could take place, so that something new could be built on something solid. And now we have everything we need. Everything is yours, you are Christ, Christ is God's. So just like in chapter one in verses four through eight when he says you've been given grace from Jesus and he's going to sustain you, you've been gifted by God, he will keep you to the end. He's gonna do that for us. So just four points of application because we, we live on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Really quickly, number one, just come to Jesus full of faith, hope, and love. If you're building something that's not gonna last, just run to Jesus. If you haven't really set yourself on the foundation, run to Jesus full of faith, hope, and love. Why? Because Jesus died and rose from the dead. Number two, build your life on him and to the degree that you haven't, stop, repent, and give yourself fully to him because he is the only foundation. Number three, work with others in community to build on the foundation things that will last because the church is the dwelling place of God. And then number four, share with your neighbors about the foundation of Jesus Christ, the hope that we have in him because there is no other foundation. We make our boast in Jesus. That's how chapter one ended. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So specifically, I'm not just kind of nebulously saying, hey, talk about Jesus with your neighbors. Here's what I'd love for us to do. I'd love for every person in this room between now and the end of this year to share Christ with at least one person. I don't mind if you share them with 10 or 20 people, right? But at least one person. For some of you, you love talking about Jesus. You're the extrovert. You hear that and it's the most exciting thing in the world. Others of you, you're just scared to death to do it. But the power of God is at work when you speak about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
So before this year's out, share Christ with someone because there is no other foundation. Wouldn't it be amazing to, to see friends standing on the solid rock of Christ and the kingdom to grow this year? Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We need you every day. And you delight when your people come to you. You say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And God, people in this room right now, some need to rest on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. Others are building, and they're building things that aren't gonna last. God, make this a moment of repentance, of turning, of restoration. And God, would you bring some gold and silver and precious stones of works in Christ that are built up into something beautiful through Temple Bible Church. And God, would you give us boldness as we stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ to declare the crucified and risen King to people around us, that your kingdom might grow, that our friends might know the hope that we have in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.